And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, June 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We have another promotion to discuss as Jordan Westberg is joining the Orioles. Injury news from the Marlins in their rotation, another switcheroo in the Atlanta rotation. And then our main topic today, we're going to dig into some second-year hitters to see what direction those players are going as they get more exposure to big league pitching you know, as we get started, you were telling me about some biodome thing you were in this weekend. What was that all about? Yeah, I have a friend who basically shares my birthdays the day before, and uh, we've known each other for a really long time. And we're also poor planners. We do a bad job planning. Uh, so we realized it was our birthday weekend. We hadn't planned anything. So we just threw some camping gear in the back of the car and went north and had some very loose plans uh, there's a site called Hip Camp where we were searching for some campgrounds uh, that were available in the short term. And we found a geodesic dome, which is like uh, just uh, you could probably sleep like eight to ten people in it. But it's a, a sort of a semi large dome with a with a wooden floor that's raised up off the ground. Uh, and it was in Bolinas. So we are when we opened our windows to our dome. We had this wide view of the pond that was on the property and then the bay. So we were just looking right out at the ocean. And if you go, we walked down to there, uh, to the beach, uh, had some beers on the beach. Uh, you're basically looking at San Francisco, uh, but you can't see the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's like sort of, a, you know, right around Point Reyes. And uh, we had a good time. It was fun, you know, getting to know a little town and, uh, you know, stopped by and saw some friends on the way up and... Had a good time. Got a. I got a new hat. I should have brought it down. Uh, the San Antonio Chanchlas. <laughs> the uh, the logo is a flying slipper, like a flying flip flop. Okay. Flip flop. And it's about how like your abuela might hit you with the shoe if you were bad. <laughs> so one of those. I got some new new shoes. My wife, he's like, look nice, I like. Oh, there you go. She's saying, like, you know, I wear the same shoes all the time, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm guilty of that. That's, uh, it's it's gotten worse in the last few months, too. I'm getting real, real lazy. So I got a bunch of new shoes that I ordered recently. I think my, my midlife crisis is going to be uh, becoming this 40-year-old guy that wanders into sneakerhead situations with no prior knowledge of anything about sneakers and buys the crap that no one actually wants. Like I'm, I'm going to be the mark when I go to those kinds of places. They'd be like, look at this guy. Look at this idiot buying stuff nobody wants. That's going to be me. <laughs> well, it'll be cheaper. It'll be cheaper. That's right. It'll be cheaper. And I will like it. That's the important thing, right? As long as I like it, that's all that matters. 
Well, glad you had a nice weekend. I'm looking at those domes. It looks actually a lot like some of the stuff that started popping up, like a bigger version of the domes that were popping up on sidewalks and streets during COVID when they were trying to create more outdoor dining spaces, especially in the Midwest where it's colder. New York, yeah. I think I saw some of these like small dome things. So very cool. It was a really cool property. It was so weird. Like we were thinking about like maybe just planning uh, and actually having our birthday party there next year because there was a cactus garden on and it was like a real quality cactus garden, like, you know, like really nice cactus garden. And then a blue fire truck that looked like it was straight out of Burning Man uh, and just like stuff to bomb around on, like a like a whole pond with a little pier in it and stuff. So. Um, we were like, mm, this could be fun with two airstreams and like another property. Like it could be something where we just take over the property for a weekend and have fun there. Awesome. Scouting. That's what we were doing. We were scouting. Scouting for your lack of planning <laughs> was just scouting for future birthdays. Exactly. Very sharp. <laughs> well, let's talk about Jordan Westberg for a bit. The Orioles are bringing him up. Joey Ortiz was the corresponding demotion to make room on the roster. The immediate question most people have is what type of player should we expect Jordan Westberg to be coming up from the minors for the very first time. You look at his results at AAA, they've been fantastic. This is a guy that has spent basically a year at that level, 158 combined games between 2022 and 2023, 36 homers, 15 for 18 as a base stealer, and that's with about a 280 average, 360, like 566 OBP, something in that range, and about a low 20s K rate. So he draws walks, he doesn't strike out too much, hits the ball pretty hard, and can run a little bit. This all seems like uh, good stuff for Jordan Westberg, but what do you expect this to actually look like against top-level pitching? Yeah, the ongoing discussion we have about like how much a guy will actually strike out in the major leagues has, has come to a head. We have more... <laughs> we have more at our disposal, like more stats at our disposal now that he has played in AAA. Um, and in fact, at Rover Rotorwire, you've got, um, you've got contact percentage, which is overall contact percentage. Um, and, uh, that's at 76%. So just comparing across all levels, uh, this year, some people near him are Samad Taylor, Bo Naylor, um, and, uh, Vidal Brujan. Uh, just by contact rate, a little bit better than Mark Vientos, which is good because Mark Vientos does not make much contact. Um, and a little worse than, let me see if I get somebody interesting here. A little worse than, oh, these are all uninteresting. Taylor Trammell. Taylor Trammell showed up somewhere else on a comp list. You did a slightly different approach to, uh, coming up with your comp list and, uh, you also came up with Bo Naylor. I did. I took... Players 24 and under at AAA going back to like 2006, sorted by WRC Plus, and then started to look at the actual slash lines and some of the swing and miss. Uh, so Naylor did pop up as a, a similar player. I think what is really difficult to discern using the leaderboards this way is that the quality of the contact makes a huge difference in terms of the long-term outcomes. And by most indications of what we have for Westberg so far, he does hit the ball hard, right? And the player that I started to see when we were describing what he might do going into the show is Matt Chapman, right? If there's a little bit of swing and miss, a little more swing and miss in this profile against top-level pitching than you'd think based on what we're seeing at AAA, that wouldn't be that much of a surprise. He's going to draw enough walks to keep the OBP at a good level. He plays on the left side of the infield, and he's going to get to the power consistently. 
And you think about some of the up and downs we've seen from Matt Chapman, that sort of makes sense. We've, we know that if you barrel the ball consistently, you can get away with those stretches where you might strike out 30% of the time. And that's not necessarily where Westberg settles in long term, but I think you can see a few snapshots of the type of player he's likely to be. And with some speed added on, too, it's Matt Chapman with some stolen base potential. I don't know if Jordan Westberg is going to steal 15 bases every year in the big leagues, but he's probably going to be at least a five-plus sort of guy, especially with the rules and, and the things that we've seen that have opened up speed so much in this game this season. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's funny, like how you find your comps is uh, as important as anything. I, I tried another uh, another way, so this is the third way to try and find Jordan Westbrook comps. This is um, thanks to Chris Clegg, uh, Roto Clegg, that's C L E G G on Twitter. Um, he posted Jordan Westberg's zone contact rate, uh, which is specific and also I think pretty interesting. That gets really to uh, your ability to make contact outside of your decision making process. We know that his chase rate is 26%, so he looks like he has pretty good decision making, uh, Westberg does. Uh, but the zone contact being 80, that is not great. Uh, and so what I did was I took all the major leaguers this year that were within a rounding. Uh, of 80% um, uh, zone contact and uh, were qualified. So I got 20 players. As an average, they uh, averaged uh, nearly a 10% walk rate and a 26% strikeout rate. So if you look and you see the bat, for instance, projecting a 26% strikeout rate for Westberg, even though he only struck out 21% of the time, this is partially where it might be coming from. Um, And an ISO of uh, 200, 207. And I think that's important because I think this is the kind of profile where you have to hit for power to make it work, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, Westberg has cleared those ISOs in the minors. And so he could join this group. Uh, this group includes Matt Chapman. However, uh, Matt Chapman's uh, max EVs over the past few, year, past few years have been closer to 115 while Jordan Westberg's max EV this year in the minor leagues is 110. So who is Matt Chapman with a little less raw power, but also with some good uh, defensive value? Um, you know, Gunnar Henderson's on this list. Um, you know, so that's a possible outcome. It also speaks to maybe uh, Baltimore having a sort of type in, in how they produce players. Um, Anthony Volpe is on this list. <laughs> Eugenio Suarez is on this list. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is on this list. And that's the last one I want to bring up uh, really quickly because Westberg pulled the ball 50% of the time last year and only 38% of the time this year. So looks like there's been a, an adjustment already to a sort of pull happy approach that got him to this power maybe and got him to this uh whiff rate level uh and he's pulled up off of that um and so you know goldschmidt is obviously you know hall of fame bound and um you know really a top end outcome for anybody uh, but uh it just want to throw out there that goldschmidt is also on this list so I would I would assume the over under for his strikeout rate is around twenty six percent. The over under for his ISO is around two hundred. I'm going to take the average of all these players and and kind of say that's that's a, a, a kind of a likely outcome actually. Um, 
And I think that makes him interesting, but it isn't someone who's going to maybe save your batting average. Yeah, so there's some risk there, but a lot of things that Jordan Westberg should be able to do in relatively short order, it probably is going to cost Jorge Mateo playing time. He comes up a lot on this show, already buried the bottom <laughs> of the order. That's been the case for most of this season. And all that stuff that we believed in in short samples, and I I, I don't know, I'm not going to say we, I'm not going to put throw you under the bus, but I'll throw myself under the bus. I saw, you know, with Jorge Mateo early on, a real change in his chase rate. And it was great. And it was awesome. And it lasted 30 games. And now he's actually, his chase rate right now is, the rolling chase rate is higher than it's been in his career. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) WRC plus down at 70. So it doesn't really matter how good you are defensively. If you are throwing a 70 out there, you're not going to play. Did his eyes get big? Like, what the heck happened? It's it's just hilarious. Like, he, there was real change there. I was sure of it. And now everything looks really about the same as ever. It's not great. As far as your, who is Westberg an upgrade over, if you're looking at rest of season projections, I mean, he's going to fit, I would say, down to at least 12 team leagues, maybe even down to some 10s, depending on who you're rostering. This... This slash line that we're seeing projected is going to be right where you start to see players that are kind of borderline for those rosters. Do you think, let's see, let's get some would-you-rathers fired up in here. I should have had these ready to go. He's eligible at short and third in a lot of leagues. I'm curious what, how that's going to kind of impact him too. But let's say... Now and third is harder to fill. Is he, is he third and short on, on um, NFBC? I gotta check him on there. I couldn't pick him up this weekend, so I gotta take a look. He's not even in there, maybe yet. Uh, we'll have an answer on that momentarily. I mean, if you're playing, if you're playing Suarez right now, given some of the concerns, we, we believe the power is coming back for him. But if you're in a 12-team league and Eugenio Suarez is only, he's shortstop only there. Yeah. Okay. Well, that does that kind of blows up the Suarez question, unless. Well, I mean, there's other places. Others, there's not NSV is not the only thing in the world. Sure. Suarez versus Westberg rest of season? Well, since Suarez is on the comp list and and so old and Westberg is young, I'm, I'll just go with the younger version of Suarez and hope he just hits the ground running. Yeah, In a shallow league, that's, that's playable. We'll do another third base one just to kind of throw that out there too. J.D. Davis? I mean, he's not really a cut because he's not bad but would you see Westberg as an upgrade over JD Davis the rest of the way not in batting average in power Westberg would have to you know hit for the power that is expected of him which is not always the case speed he'll win playing time I'm not worried about him playing I think Westberg's gonna play he'll play unless he gets demoted so that I mean that you have to factor that into your your risk but yeah that one's tougher. I think I might stick with Davis. Yeah, Davis has just quietly been so good, and having improved his own defense really stabilized his playing time in a way that we probably wouldn't have expected coming into the season. Uh, I mean, if you're throwing Brandon Drury out there, that's an easy one. Justin Turner? Is, he, is Westberg a clear upgrade over Justin Turner at this point? Probably. Westberg over Brian Hayes? Uh, uh, yeah, power upgrade. So you'd probably do that. And then on the shortstop side... We're looking at rest of season shortstop options. You mentioned Anthony Volpe before as one of the comps that came up with one of those methods. Volpe versus Westberg. New toy versus new toy from three months ago. 
I think so. The graphs, uh, the day to day graphs are there. I, it is interesting that Volpe has, has survived the first, uh, he should be demoted media hubbub. <laughs> he has. But that doesn't mean he's not going down. I mean, how many times have you heard the dreaded, he's got my vote of confidence from the uh, manager, and then, oh, well, we just, you know, we've got a roster crunch in the situation. We need some healthy guys up here and whatever it is. I think that's sort of my entry point for 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 Westberg is around Volpe. Um, I did the auction calculator and uh, 23rd on the auction calculator among all shortstops is Jorge Mateo. 22nd is Chris Taylor. 21st is Anthony Volpe. 24th is Luis Garcia. So this is the would you rather group for me. He's comfortably ahead, I think, of uh, Elvis Andrews, Haseong Kim, Orlando Garcia. No, those are those are all layups. Yeah, those are all layups. I think if you're in like the Ezekiel Tovar, uh, maybe Jeremy Pena, who we talked about last week as someone who hasn't really been the player we expected, or even oh, Tim Anderson. So you're could, excited. Well, no, I, I think it's more like if you're in a shallow league and you're lagging in the middle yeah. infield, especially, you're thinking very hard about cutting those players because we're you know, we're nearing the midway point. We're not quite there yet. It's hard to believe that we still have more than half a season left to and play. I, so, I have these guys in so many of the keeper leagues where I'm like, you can't just cut Jeremy Pena. Yeah, but in a 10-team league or a 12-team league with more yeah. shallow rosters, you, you could, and you yeah. might have to. They get, what about these people in like more medium team, 12, like more 15-team leagues? Then, then I think you're looking at Volpe, Taylor, Mateo. I think I might have Luis Garcia over uh, Westberg just because, you know, Garcia, I think, is underrated. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is, but... I mean, he eleven percent strikeout rate. You're taking Luis Garcia over Jordan Westberg? No, I'm not doing. I'm not doing that. It's a bird in the hand, dude. Twelve percent strikeout rate, six percent swing strike rate, seven percent barrel rate, one ten max EV for Luis Garcia. You're just not impressed with the home runs and the stolen bases. Yeah, it's just not. It's just not enough. Like there's there's so much more ceiling on Westberg right now. That I think you have to go Westberg. All right, that's fair. Uh, I I also know that it's fair because I would take uh, him over the other guys in there. The only caveat I have is that Chris Taylor can be roster glue. He's hurt right now, but even even like even as bad as he's been at times this year, he's saved my butt. He's like, you know, when I have him on my roster, a lot of times it's like, oh god, someone got hurt on a Tuesday. Well, good thing I have Chris Taylor and I can move my whole roster around and make this work because there are very few people who are outfield MI and CI plus second, third, and short. You know what I mean? Like, like Chris Taylor is is a godsend in that way. So you know, when you're comparing him to Volpe, Mateo, and Garcia, you're just t- comparing to people who only play short for the most part. Yeah. So all right. So that gives you some some basic ideas. I mean, I, I think you can, I think the most difficult decision you'd have to make right now. I might take him over Tobar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to throw Tobar on that list. I think the Tim Anderson line for a shallow league, even though I still believe in Tim Anderson long-term, I'm, what am I doing in leagues where I have Tim Anderson? He's on the bench. He's on the bench with so four hard. games to begin the week in NFBC leagues for me. Yeah, he is for me too. In my main, it's so aggressive. I, I feel like if I get good news that he's starting tonight, like I might put him in. The projections still like Anderson more than how he's playing. I just wonder about this shoulder for Tim Anderson. You know what I mean? Like, 
You know, he obviously is sitting games because of it, you know. He's got a 64.9% ground ball rate. I know when we last checked on him, the ground ball rate wasn't quite that far out of whack. I'm getting closer to the the drop point where I'm like, hey, you know, this this projection is good, but it's kind of like what we dealt with when Max Muncie, I think, was dealing with the elbow injury last year. And the projections yeah. kept saying, keep him, keep He's him, trade for him, like, go get him. Do you know projections that he has a shoulder problem? And and you know what? It's funny. I was just on the Luis Garcia page, and this is way too uncomfortably looking like the Luis Garcia page. And in my main, I actually have both of them. I wonder oh, no. at some point if we're just like, well, this week we're playing Luis Garcia over Tim Anders. Actually, we might be sitting both, but... Uh, you know, if if we get to that point where we'd rather have Garcia in over Anderson, then maybe it's drop city. Looking at the, the e- recent EVs too, and he talked about this a few years ago. I think it was one of the first times he ever did a presentation at First Pitch Arizona about Statcast and how you could sometimes look at the rolling graphs and you can see just how how much an injury might be impacting a player compared to his normal baseline. I'm wondering if that might give us the information we need with Tim Anderson. How are you seeing that with Anderson? Well, I'm looking at it more on the game log page right now and just kind of eyeballing it that way. Oh, uh, a game log on Fangraphs? Yeah, you can look at the EVs from there. Oh, because they've got StatCast in there now. There's not a lot of hard contact in the last couple of weeks from him. Ooh, Something's just those off. are gross. There's a lot of 70s. Mm. This is not good for Tim Anderson. The the optimism I had just a few weeks ago is is fading the more and more I look at the profile. And look at those terrible launch angles. A lot of negative launch angles. I've always thought, too, that when you have a shoulder problem, the ground ball rate tends to go up. It's one of those mm-hmm. one of those numbers that I don't know. I, I need more information to state it as fact. But I've noticed that a lot with players that have had shoulder injuries for Geez, the last 15 years now digging into these players. And he must, I mean, this, the second base thing has got it, like, it's about the shoulder as much as anything. And that's not good news either that he's playing second base. So, oh, yeah, flipping him with Andrews defensively to take oh, some wear and tear off his arm. That's awful. I feel bad for him. This might not get better. I mean, the all star break maybe could help just giving a few days off. Maybe they could give him some rest before it, too, to really extend shot that or something. Okay, Westberg versus Tim Anderson. I think I'm on Jordan Westberg for the rest of the season. I think I've talked myself into it. Wow, that's painful, dude. Yeah, it it really is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we'll we'll stop with the rambling of how concerned we are about Tim Anderson. Let's talk about the situation in Miami. Trevor Rogers shut down through the All-Star break, so things are not progressing quite the way 
they had hoped. The good news is Braxton Garrett continues to pitch really well for them. And we had a question about Garrett. If there's anything going on with his pitch mix, anything that's just different about him that's enabled him to reach this new level. The strikeout rate is up. The walk rate is down. Love to see both of those things happening together. He is getting hit inside the zone a little bit less this year than last year. And everyone knows Braxton Garrett doesn't throw particularly hard, but if you have a 92.4% zone contact percentage, which he had last year, it's hard to live that way unless you're an extreme ground ball, you know, peak Dallas Keuchel type. That's that's just a unbelievably high zone contact percentage mm-hmm. to have. A big difference seems to be the cutter as far as the pitch mix changes. That's something that Braxton Garrett didn't have before. But looking at some of the heat maps too, I think his slider is being commanded a lot better, or at least if it's not an actual command change, where he's locating it makes a lot more sense now. And I think that's been a big difference for him so far this year too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a lot about location. I do think that the cutter is, is cool, but it's 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 on the level of, you know, he has a bunch of pitches. So I'm not, this isn't like, how excited I would be if Graham Ashcraft had a third pitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this is like, okay, well he had five pitches. Now he has six and it's not like the cutter comes in as a super high stuff, uh, you know, answer either. What's really interesting is that he does have, uh, five pitches that are all like basically 90 stuff plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't sound great at first, but you know, 92 stuff plus for a sinker is not terrible. Um, and the, all these other pitches are usable and functional and, uh, he's got a great location plus. So this is definitely, um, you know, a way to try and find, um, uh, sleepers is just kind of look for, uh, guys who can command it and have large arsenals. And, um, I think he's a little bit over his skis, honestly, uh, this type, uh, you know, he, he, he can keep it going for a while, but like, for example, his velocity on his, on his four seam is 90. So this isn't something where I necessarily think it's just stuff plus mist, you know, it's just like stuff with a small S mist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's nobody who watches Braggs and Garrett and thinks, woof, like, you know, need to fan myself. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think I, I, in any given year, I will bet on this. Um, and I know he's now had like two good seasons, uh, you know, two good half seasons in a row. But the, the two seasons, you know, when he debuted before were with five ERAs. So, um, you know, I think this is he's over his skis a little bit. He has a really nice home park. He has some good matchups. When those are all lined up, I'm into him in any given season. If I found him. I'm great with this, but if I'm in a keeper league, uh, I would chop him. I get the sense that most people in most leagues are are skeptical, but it, what he's doing is at least working well enough where he, he's probably more than a home streamer, and that's where he started the season. It was in deeper leagues. Oh, if he's pitching in his home park, I'm using him. Now I think I'm going to choose a few more spots outside of Miami where I'll actually throw him out there against some of the league's weaker lineups where in the past I may have been a little bit more careful you know this week he's at Boston I don't love that spot no. for him that's that's one where I would actually try to avoid him home no. next week against St. Louis and Philly as part of a two-step I think you'd have to use that two at home if you can't use them for two at home you can't use them so I think he'd be in for that but out for this uh, this road trip against the Red Sox yeah, I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's a lesson for us like, you know, we picked up Colin Ray this week uh, as a streamer 
in our main because he's got a bunch of pitches. He's got good matchups. He's got the same location plus and, you know, uh, uh, the same sort of approach as Braxton Garrett. Um, so, you know, anything can happen. I also was talking to um, Gabe Kapler about how the Giants hit Bobby Miller well. Um, and he said, you know, he's not not to take anything away from Bobby Miller, but like our team sometimes has a harder time preparing for, you know, the Michael Walkers of the world, you know, guys who have uh, four or five pitches and can mix them around and command them all. Um, so you know you might be saying like why don't we why isn't this in the model why don't why why can't we spot these guys better why can't we bet on these guys why don't you just bet on braxton garrett to keep it going and the problem is just that like with command guys like this uh i think a little thing goes in their mechanics or their health and it just kind of all falls apart and there's you know just look at tyler anderson uh over in anaheim as an example of a guy who's basically the same guy right lots of pitches good command was great last year and is not this year. You know, a, another guy who's a little bit like this, although Merrill Kelly has more out pitches, his changeup and, and curve are like legitimate out pitches. Um, but Merrill Kelly is, uh, and Miles Michaelis are these, uh, this type too, and they kind of go up and down, you know? Uh, Zach Evelyn is this type. Uh, and Marco Gonzalez is this type. Sort of, yes. Like that's that's where. That's where my mind keeps going. Eduardo Rodriguez is this type. These guys go up and down. They're not yeah, yes. good vets every good like every year to every year. I think the problem is all of those pitchers have pretty wide ranges of outcomes, but even within that group, there are still subtle enough differences that are like the difference between Erod and Marco Gonzalez is actually pretty big for me. Even though by results, sometimes when Marco Gonzalez is good, he's better than Erod when Erod's bad. And you step back and you're like, wait, why? If one of those guys is bad, it should be it should be Marco Gonzalez. But these subtle differences may not all speak well on Braxton Garrett is what I'm saying. Because when I pointed out that Merrill Kelly has some out pitches, he has multiple pitches over 100 stuff plus. And you pointed out that Eduardo Rodriguez is better than Marco Gonzalez. Well, Eduardo Rodriguez's slider is above 100 stuff plus. Like he has a legitimate out pitch. So, you know, if you're watching Braxton Garrett, I mean, one of the questions is, is that slider legitimate out pitch? Stuff Plus says no, it's, it's just a boring pitch. You just said in your walk up to this that it seems like he's locating the slider better. Yeah, definitely looks like it. Look at the maps from 2022 to 2023. You see the, I know the stat cast with percentage calculations kind of ridiculous, for, but it's, mm. his, it's his best whiff pitch right now, 45.3% by the way they measure uh, cause it. Because it's whiff over swings. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, so that always makes it look way, way bigger. Yeah. And he's getting more with the, with the changeup than he did last year. I don't know how viable that really is, but the, the cutter, that's the funny thing about that cutter. The cutter doesn't seem like it's an extraordinary pitch. It's worked to get him whiff so far. So yeah, yeah, this is this is pretty interesting. I, that Kapler comment, you know, it it kind of makes me think about building a pitching staff. We we've talked about it with the Rays bullpen and other bullpens that have all these different angles and different looks, and the Giants certainly have that too. Maybe your rotation sometimes, like if you don't have four or five guys that all have Bobby Miller's arsenal, it's hard to get five of those guys and then keep them healthy. Maybe having a couple of guys that throw four or five different pitches and are funky and just keep you off balance, maybe that's that's the next best thing. Maybe we own maybe we underrate that because we like 
98 plus and gross sliders and yeah. we underrate players like Garrett as a result. The thing about Garrett that's pretty interesting in the in the profile too, the swinging strike rates, they're higher than I'd predict compared mm-hmm. to a lot of the names that you mentioned as possible you know, similar pitchers. So it even though it's not overpowering, he he is getting a lot of swinging strikes, 13.3% this year and even 11.8% last year. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I do think it's all on the back of location, so I'm still a little wary of it, but you're right. It's uh, it's a better profile, probably the best uh, whiff rate out of any of the guys that I mentioned. I think that question came from Billy Ripkin's burner. Not literally. I think it's just the, one of the regular listeners of the show that was asking us about Braxton Garrett before we got started. Uh, one other note here real quick before we get to some of the second-year hitters. It looks like Michael Soroka might be getting another look from the Braves. Three pretty good starts at AAA Gwinnett. I don't know if anything's actually changed in terms of the quality of his stuff. When we talked about him earlier this year, it wasn't really eye-popping on his first kind of rehab run in the minors, but A.J. Smith-Shaver has been sent down, so apparently the Braves want to get another look at Soroka to see if he, in fact, has taken another step forward as he tries to get back and be a consistent, healthy member of that rotation again. Uh, I don't see much difference in the stuff plus. Uh, it's it's down. He was actually he started the year uh, better than anything he's done since, um, and I don't see much difference in location plus. So I don't know about that. I can maybe do some pitch mix stuff here real quick. Um, but I mean, one thing that was uh, true for me when I uh, when I saw uh, Smith Shaver's debut, when I watched it, and when I uh, you know, look through the model numbers and stuff. I thought the fastball was a little too close to average. And one of my big clues was watching him face the Rockies on the road. And it was a, it was a fine start, uh, for me, uh, you know, let me like see what the actual numbers were on that one. Do you remember? It was like, uh, yeah, okay, five and two-thirds, six strikeouts, three earned runs. You could look at that and be like, yeah, great start. Good job, rookie. Except it was Colorado on the road. And there were some not great hitters in that game that touched his fastball in a way that I was like kind of surprised. Like Tovar went two for four. Um, you know, Coco got a hit off the off the thing, um, and then there were some high whiff guys like McMahon uh, got some got two singles off of Shaver, I think. So like, uh, I thought that people were squaring up the fastball pretty well, and uh, the model never never liked his uh, curveball. It's a really big curveball, and he didn't really throw it that much, so it became kind of dependent on his slider, and so, um. I was never that big in on, on Smith Shaver and the model did not really like him. And long story short, Rockies on the road hit him and uh, that's not a good sign. I wonder if when we see Smith Shaver next, if he'll be elevating that four seamer more consistently than he, he did was not first elevating run. it. Uh, it's surprisingly low in the zone. I could not understand that either. I was like, you know, this will do better if you elevate it because he he did have enough ride. But uh, I I couldn't tell if it was, you know, missing or uh, that was the plan. Yeah. I imagine they'll try and change that up once we see him back. But hopefully this time around, things can be better for Soroka. A little bit of a bummer that you're not seeing anything really different in that arsenal so far. But maybe it'll just be fine tuning the command a little more and locating exactly uh, where he wants to 
once he gets that call back up, probably at some point this week. I have a, a, a June 16th start. Soroka threw 42 fastballs with a 75 stuff plus. Uh, 12 sinkers with a 99 stuff plus. So that's weird for me because hasn't a sinker always been better than a four seam? Yeah, why would you throw so many four seams then? I don't know. The slider looked good, 117 stuff plus. So that's good sign. That's that's actually something nice. Is the slider look good? Um, and he threw six changeups. So uh, I, is that a demonstrably different mix than he was doing in the big leagues? Let me look real quick. I would I would assume maybe they told him to work on his four seam. Maybe. Yeah, he was he was equal four seam sinkers in the in in the in the uh, big leagues. Maybe it was just like some some short term work on the four seam, and maybe he'll come back and pitch the same mix, but the four seam will be better. But uh, he's a risk with by any metric. K minus BB is negative. Swing strike rate is eight percent this year, and it wasn't that great the last time we saw him. Strikeout rate's bad, you know. So Soroka is a little bit of a wait and see for me. Yeah, I think if you're interested in him, it's more for deep, deep leagues. It's like a, or even an NFC, a stash where you do like you, you put him on a, on a, on a stash chain where you're not you know, start him right away. And you're just putting him on your bench. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to have a spot for that, you could try to do that with Soroka. Let's get to some second year hitters. Uh, I, I put the question out there on Twitter from the rates and barrels account, just asking people of the second year hitters, who are you most interested in? And I thought we'd get more names from, the bottom part of the leaderboard, I thought we'd get more questions about Spencer Torkelson and C.J. Abrams and Shea Langoliers and Nick Prado, and I put them on the rundown anyway, but a lot of the questions <laughs> were about the the potential stars, the the higher-end players. I mean, Julio Rodriguez was a player people are still very interested in, and for good reason, right? If you take someone in the first round and they don't do what you expect them to do, you want to know why. Is there something actually wrong? And I think we talked about Julio maybe a month or so ago. At that time, I didn't look at him and say, yes, he's he's definitely going to fall short of expectations. I think there's still a lot of things going right in this profile. He's still making a lot of hard contact. Barrel rate's down just a little bit from last year, but we're still looking at a power-speed combo that's right on track with what he was expected to do, even though the slash line has taken a pretty good hit from where it was as a rookie. Yeah, I tried to talk to him about this uh, a little bit. Didn't get any get far. Uh, you know, he's like, you know, I'm always adjusting game to day, day to day. But I was trying to get to the fact that they're, you know, the book is pretty much fill him up on the outside part of the plate and outside low. Um, and this year, he's swinging a little bit more at those pitches. You can see it in the 37% chase rate last year, 41% this year. Uh, neither of those numbers is very good, and um, you know. But he wasn't concerned, and, you know, I could see his point because, you know, he's still above league average. He's still going to hit maybe maybe 30-30 this season. He's like he's going to be really close to doing 30-30 this season. Um, he's still the star center fielder on a great contract, blah, 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 blah. You know, you never know when. And that's sort of what we were talking about. I was like, you know, I was trying to ask him, like, when does it become a problem? Like, when is it I have to do something as opposed to let me just game plan for tonight? You know what I mean? When is it like, oh, this isn't working? And it's kind of hard to say if you're still above league average and still headed for 30-30, like, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, this isn't working. I really need to do something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we're going to see major changes, maybe just some hot stretches where... 
maybe he hits some pitchers that aren't that great at filling up the outside corner or you know uh he just runs into randomly a stretch of some lefties that he can hit well gets going gets into a good spot starts spitting on that pitch away and uh, you know just sort of naturally with the ebb and flow of the season gets into a hot stretch that's that's the narrative I'm telling myself because there's not that much different from last year to this year. And he's still a very good player. I'm not comfortable saying that the shine, any of the shine has come off yet. No, I think if you are participating in some mid-season drafts, I know the NFBC is going to have some gladiators coming up during the All-Star break. Those are just 50 bucks, 15 teams, no benches. Uh, I know Underdog is running a big best ball contest for the second half. It's only 7 bucks to get in that, so if you're... Getting the itch for more drafts. They're coming. Still a first rounder. Still probably a, like, moves from the early part to the late part. I mean, you're talking about a top like 15 player still, even with this half. If if not, a still a top 10 guy. I, 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 I think it's a little bit like Acuna not quite being Acuna coming off the ACL. We don't have the injury explanation, but you still see those flashes of all the things that you liked in Julio Rodriguez that would keep you interested in him. Because you you know there's a very good chance you're going to get that payoff over a half season. The second half could be monstrous, and it could be an easy 30-30 type season, and it could be one where that slash line at the end of the year ends up looking much like you thought it would going into the season. Yeah, although uh, I I was agreeing with your head nodding. I'm now running a year-to-date auction value. So what he's earned so far. And this is according to the auction calculator. And I'm not seeing it. Oh, there he is, 30th. 30th among hitters or 30th overall? 30th among hitters. Okay. I or... still think he's going to he's gonna jump in there. And there's some weird stuff on here. Lane Thomas is 14th. The rest of season projection from the bad X is 280, 344, 508. That is almost identical to the slash line he gave us as a rookie last year. The fact that the K rate hasn't gone through the roof. Rest of season projection is 11th uh, among batters. Right. And I would comfortably draft off of that. Would you draft him? And, and, and I, would you take him over Soto, who's 10th? Yeah, for the steals, probably. I think so, yeah. Categorical would you take him balance. over Trout, who's 9th? Yep. Maybe. I'm not, take, I'm not sure I'm taking him over Tucker, who's 8th. Yeah, we talked about Kyle Tucker, I think, a week or two ago. I don't think anything's wrong with Kyle Tucker. Yeah, um, Paul Goldschmidt is seventh, but would you draft Paul Goldschmidt seventh in the second half best ball league? Nope. No, I don't think anybody would. Even though the projection says that. It's, it's amazing how you're just like, nope, I just wouldn't. I see it, but I, I wouldn't do that. Um, and then now you're getting into Otani, Jose Ramirez, Vlad Guerrero, Freeman, Acuna, Tatis. I think he's behind those maybe. So maybe I'm slotting him in seventh behind Jose Ramirez, Shohei Otani, and Tucker, seventh or eighth. Yeah, so not much. Not much has changed, even though it's still... Uh, yeah, what would be your best ball top 10 for the second, second half of the season? I think I'd go Cunha over Tatis. I would too, yep. Uh, third, Otani? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Otani. Uh, fourth, you're looking at Vlad, Jose Ramirez, Freddie Freeman, or unless you bump the tr- Tucker Rodriguez into that group. Probably skipping that group and moving someone else up. Yeah. So then you could then you could do there's Tucker Rodriguez, um, Bo Bichette is the possibility. Bo maybe top, Wander. Top Wander 15. up in there. 
Um, not by this projection. Although I don't have... I do have MI. Hmm. Well, here's a, a good segue to our next player. Bobby Witt Jr. Rest of season expectations for him. He would have been in there. 17th by the auction calculator in the bad X. Behind Bo Bichette, Mookie Betts, Randy Arozarena. Ahead of Trey Turner! By 10 cents. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty fun That's because <laughs> we're... <laughs> We're looking at Bobby Witt Jr. now in a year and a half in the big leagues with a 251-293-427 line. Normally, if I say that slash line, you're like, oh, okay, that's I'd, a flawed I'm player. Not, yeah, I'm not putting that player in my first round. But he's got 32 homers and 53 steals in 966 plate appearances. And this year, he's running even more than last year. He's on pace to maybe, maybe run at 50 steals. He's returned more value so far than Julio Rodriguez, 26th, according to the auction calculator. And there's some improvements along the way. More hard contact overall, so more barrels, and a little less chase, even though he still chases more than you'd like. Uh, this is still a really good profile. It's just, it's just strange to see someone that we... He's 23. This is, this is still progress. This is, you know, it's a little bit small progress, but it's still progress. Do you think there's a path for Wit to, even if he doesn't draw more walks, just do better with balls in play and lift his average in OBP that way? 100%. Because that's kind of what the projections are saying is likely to happen. 277, 324, 501 from the bat with basically the same strikeout and walk rates. I think that's actually believable. Bo Bichette walks 4% of the time and strikes out 17% of the time this year. Tell me Bobby Wood Jr. can't do that. The only thing for me, I've watched Bo more than I watch Wit. Bo Bichette has just a ridiculous hit tool. Mm. The stuff he hits is stuff that most guys just can't get to. Wit's strikeout, swing and strike rate is higher. Wit's strikeout rates have been higher. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. I mean... It doesn't but mean Wit can't be there. You know, like a, a five, four to five percent walk rate, a nineteen to eighteen percent strikeout rate. That's totally doable for him. He's 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 improved a little bit. He's improved a little bit. If he does that and ups the barrel rate to twelve percent, I mean, this is just little 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 improvements. But he could do all that and uh, push his OBP to three twenty, three thirty. Uh, you know, his batting average to two eighty. Now you got a two eighty. 320 guy who's you know 30 50 yeah not a lot of 30 50 guys out there nope not no there really are not yeah sometimes we focus i think too much on flaws like this i don't know this is i still see a lot of improvement i still see i i see ceiling beyond this even i think i see another level so you know i think the funny thing about it if you go back to the beginning of trey turner's career Turner struck out a little less, but also didn't walk a ton his first couple seasons. And it was more speed over power, power back had then. The, had, had, the, the, had the power every year, yeah. Yeah, but if, if, you, if you just change the outcomes on the balls in play, and I realize that's a pretty oh, big adjustment. look at those Babips Turner has run in his career. Right, you would have probably seen something that was Bobby Witt Jr. without the power, and the, the general read of Trey Turner would have been a lot different. I, I realize I'm like rewriting history in but but the other the other way of here. saying it is turner's uh obps were inflated by babbitt in a way that we haven't seen bobby witt take advantage of yet 
but given what we know about Wit, it seems like he would be capable of that outcome. So nothing to be disappointed in, really. I think there's a ton to still like, and the long, long-term outlook is still very bright for him. How about Michael Harris? Last time we talked to him, he was or talked about him. We'd love to talk to Michael Harris sometime, but he was not really the same player he was as a rookie. I think some of that was just kind of getting back up to speed coming off the IL. Looks like in June, he was more like himself. Four homers, three steals, hit 350. It's like 54% better than league average for the month. I mean, this this seems like the guy you were expecting to get if you were taking him at the 2-3 turn back in March. Is there anything in this profile that even gives you a pause, or would you actually be excited to take him if there's a discount based on the slow start he was having after that IL stint? I don't want to pick the nits right after we just talked about we picked the nits too much. Um, I see, you know, a little bit of like an inflated bap of his, his rookie year that, that kept him at a 300 average. He had a 361 batting average on balls in play. You know, that's pretty aggressive. Although he's had some of those in the minors, but the minors, they have poor defenders soon. So, uh, the other thing is he does hit the ball on the ground a little bit more than you'd like. Uh, but he manages to barrel the ball, um, still. So. Not really. I don't really have a, any problems with this. And last time we looked at him, we looked and said, you know, the max EV is there, the barrel rate is there, like, he's going to be fine. Yeah, I don't think much has changed for Michael Harris. Uh, from last year to this year, I I think you're likely to get what you got last year prorated over the rest of the season. I don't know that I'm uh, dream projecting him into 30-30s. There's something, no. there's something that strikes me more as sort of 25-25 as a peak. You know what I mean? That's fine. That that's totally it's fine. It's the ground ball rate. It's the you know. It, I think the key difference for me in, in Harris's ground ball rate. Sometimes you see a player reach the big leagues, ground ball rate jumps up, and you think, oh, okay, what's what's wrong? Nothing's wrong with that player. It's just adjusting to better pitching. Harris has always hit the ball on the ground a little more than you'd like. Yeah, it, just about all of his minor league stops. So this is not totally out of the norm for him. But he's still so young. He's twenty two. A lot could change for him in the next couple of years. The guy that actually belongs in the conversation you were asking earlier about your top 10 for the second half drafts, Corbin Carroll. He's in that conversation. Like he should be in that top 10. He should he's probably he's probably in the top 5 for a lot of people right now in terms of what he brings to the I'm table. I'm surprised the projections haven't caught up with that. Yeah, uh, I nitpicked him too much back in the winter and I regret that. He's eased the concerns that I had about the barrel rate. He's chasing a little less, making more hard contact all around. Probably has a path to be a top three guy for 2024 if this continues. Is there any particular reason when you look at the profile that you think the projections would be a little slow to push him all the way up? Looking at a 9% barrel rate, 114 max EV. Last year, 6% barrel rate, 108 max EV. I guess I'm surprised that he might hit 30 home runs this year. And I think that might be where the projections don't line up necessarily with, like, we see 16 homers on June 26th and do the mental math and say, this guy's going 30-30 this year, right? Uh, no projection has him going 30-30. And I, I guess it's the same nit that we picked before the season, so we shouldn't get too excited about picking that nit again. Uh, a 9% barrel rate is good, but it's not great. So you look at that 268 ISO and be like, 9% rail rate, there's a little bit of like what's going on here. But I do think that the feet is what's going on here. There are times when he can make a single into a double. You know, there are, t- there are definitely times where he's making a double into a triple. 
Um, and so uh, I just think he's a super exciting player. He does not hit the ball on the ground as much as Michael Harris. So he he's going to hit some homers that aren't barrels. You know what I mean? And uh, he gets to play in Coors some. Uh, the strikeout rate is great. The walk rate is great. The swing strike rate is great. I mean, it's really hard to look across this and, and find a problem. Um, and I'm guessing the projections just look at that barrel rate and say, I don't believe a 268 ISO, but I'm telling you, man, I think he's going to hit 30 homers. If you were choosing rest of season... Corbin Carroll or Julio Rodriguez? Oh, man. I really should have seen that coming, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Walked into that one. <laughs> I really did. Uh, the auction calculator uh, has them uh, really close. Corbin Carroll, 26th rest of season. Um, well, not that close. Julio Rodriguez, 11th rest of season. Um, so the auction calculator says Julio Rodriguez. My heart says Corbin. <laughs> Although it's not a slight of Julio Rodriguez if you take Corbin Carroll. Yeah. It's not. Corbin Carroll, I mean, especially with the shoulder surgery that cost him time, plus the, the 2020 that cost everybody a minor league season, he just produced everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Just passed every test with, with flying colors, and he is striking out less. <laughs> within his first calendar year in the big leagues, he is striking out less against the best possible pitching than That's he ever what, struck out in the minors. That's wild to me. That might be enough for me to take him because uh, Julio Rodriguez's quality of contact is better. But Car Corbin Carroll makes a lot more. And I think I want that combo. Yeah. This is, again, not a knock on Julio Rodriguez. It is high praise for Corbin Carroll, who... I really, really wish I would have had everywhere because it was out there. Every projection system, ha well, not every, but most projection systems have Julio Rodriguez going 30-30. And they're very, very narrowly missing that on Corbin Carroll. So mm. don't fall for it. Get in there. Get him. <laughs> uh, Adley Rutschman, is there another level coming from him? I mean, it's just been more of the same, and the same is great because he hit the ground running last year when the Orioles brought him up. Averages up a little bit. OBP's up a little bit. Actually, the K rate's improved from where it was. Not a ton of barrels, but also a reminder that the lower K rate guys can yeah. often run those lower barrel rates. So I think the, the bigger question with Adley Rutschman is, like, what does the peak look like? Is there another level coming in the second half of this year? Or is it coming in 2024? Or is this just already a guy who's at his peak and he's just really good and we should just be excited about the player he is today because this is what he's going to do for the next several years? 25 years old, I mean, the, the research says peak is 26, uh, but that's always a range, and, like, you know, he could have his peak here at 27, 28, um, you know, catchers debut later, and from what I've seen in the research, peak later. So, uh, let's say in the next three years, I think he can have a season where he hits 280 and, like, 28 homers. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, catchers peak later. I mean, switch hitters sometimes could take a little bit longer, too. You get two swings you're working on all the time. My evidence for this is just that he's been so good for so long that, and then there's like, you, you know, there's natural variance. Like, you can't just look at his seven, eight percent barrel rate so far and be like, that's what he's going to do the rest of his life. You know what I mean? So there's going to be a season where an eight percent barrel guy has, you know, 12 percent barrels. Mm -hmm. Just randomly. 
And so that's that's sort of my argument. Not necessarily that I look at any part of his game right now and be like, oh, he could obviously be doing much better just based on this thing he's already doing. I don't see that. He's earning everything he's doing right now. He's not necessarily earning more than what he's doing right now. But uh, what he's doing right now is great, and I think there could just be another level in another season where something clicks in the way he prepared in the offseason or he approaches at the plate or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. That high 20s home run peak season, it still seems possible because all the things you need in that foundation have been there, and they've been there consistently going back to the start of his career with the Orioles last season. Let's talk about Gunnar Henderson for a moment. The Orioles were patient with him through a slow start, and it has really been a thing that's paid off for them, right? He looks like the player we saw a season ago. K percentage is up from last year, but more barrels and generally the same underpinnings that were there with the impressive debut. The things that pushed Gunnar Henderson toward that top 60 to 80 range overall in ADP, those are all there. It looks like low to mid-20s home run power, double-digit steals, solid value where he went if you were able to ride it out in deeper leagues you kind of had to I almost think Gunnar Henderson leads us back into our how do you project strikeout rates going forward because what he did at double a is looking like an outlier right kind of like we're talking about Corbin Carroll reaching this new level in the big leagues well Gunnar Henderson hasn't done that yet maybe he will over time but a lot of his strikeout rates in the minor leagues were a little higher than you'd like to see for a player that is going to be an early rounder for what looks like the next several seasons. Yeah, you know what he did it by? Uh, You know, uh, it's not chasing less. You know, the the recovery did not come from chasing less. He's a a good non-chaser, and he stayed that way. You know, that's, in fact, he's chased a tiny bit more as he's gotten better over the course of the season. What has happened is a spike in his uh, rolling contact rates. So, uh, you know, in game 94 of his career, which was a couple weeks ago, his rolling zone contact was 91%, a high watermark for his career. Uh, When he debuted uh, in game 18, it was 90%, you know, and in between, it got down to 73% zone contact rate at times. In the end of May, his his rolling zone contact was 71%. We just talked about a whole thing about this with Jordan Westberg and whose comps are and what do you, what the average guy does. The average guy at seventy one percent zone contact, I'm sure, has over a thirty percent strikeout rate. You know that that group. It's not. It's worse than the group I was talking about earlier. Worse than Suarez. You know what I mean? Like worse than Eugenio Suarez. And here we are. That's game seventy seven. And here we are twenty games later, and he's almost twenty percentage points better. Uh, by zone contact so he's figured out something in the zone some they were doing something to him in the zone he's figured out a, a way to uh, deal with that and he's gone through the roof um, and I think some part of that just comes from he doesn't chase much so he doesn't have great the greatest hit tool in the world but he has great plate discipline and I think that speaks this adjustment he's made speaks very well to the fact that give him some time he can make an adjustment and I don't know that he'll ever have a 22% strikeout rate, but I bet you a peak season from Gunnar Henderson, who is 21, may actually, maybe have one season where he has a 23, 24% strikeout rate, something like that. And in that season, he will hit 290 with 35 homers and 10 steals. 
these uh, great Orioles seasons, these peaks all happen at the same time. That's be <laughs> oh, man. That'd an be even great. more fun year to be that'd an be Orioles so fan. <laughs> yeah, just totally ridiculous. Uh, Josh Young, everything is better in that profile right now. It, it helps that you know nothing was really right when he came back from injury last year. Uh, we didn't really know what the baseline was. It was just an exposure to big league pitching after a couple of years of major injuries for him. I think what we're starting to see now that we've got really a half season of healthy Josh Young is there is a ton of power. Hard hit rate is close to 50%. He gets the ball up in the air, so he's going to be a great run producer. The 30 home run pace looks absolutely legit. It's harder for me to even come up with a reasonable, like, where do we go from here with the K rate? The projections say this is about who he is, and I'm not sure they can be... I don't think the projections can do a great job because of all the time that he missed in the minor leagues. I think this is one where you could actually see a little more improvement than you might expect for a guy that's run close to a 30% K rate through his first 400 plus plate appearances. Yeah, I mean, he's the type of guy that if he did chase just a little bit less, uh, his contact rates could go uh, could go way better because first of all you can look at the rolling graph and see that he spent way more time at 90% zone contact than Gunnar Henderson. And for the season, he's at 85.6, but he spent two-thirds of the season so far above 90%. He just had one little part where he just went down and cratered. And I think that's just a young player where, like, oh, oh my God, they're just doing this one thing I haven't seen before. And then, you know, three weeks later, he'd, he'd rebound and figured something out. He does he does chase a little bit, but not, not like, on the 40% level. Like, it's, it's fine. Um... So I could see just a little bit less chasing and a little bit more living at 90%. And uh, I can definitely see uh, 24, 23% strikeout rates in this guy's future. I mean, his minor leagues is literally with it, you know? So um, I, I think that was just a, uh, sort of being a little green and, uh, and dealing with what they were throwing at him. But you can tell just, just you know, given a, almost the same amount of samples as Gunnar Henderson... He's at 86% zone contact. Gunner's at 80. There's a difference here. Second half leagues. Josh Young or Alex Bregman? Who do you like better? <laughs> that one you didn't see coming. I did not see that one coming. And um, The reason I'm asking you know, this question... Auction calculator to give you a says $4 difference uh, between the two. Favoring Bregman, I'm guessing. Um, favoring Bregman, but obviously quality of contact is going to go in uh, Young's favor. Mm-hmm. But it's never been um, one of Bregman's things. Quantity of contact is going to go in Bregman's favor. Ah, so this is good, though. This gets us back to the Corbin Carroll thing from a little earlier. There's still, between Bregman and Carroll, there's like the extra, like I'll take I'll take the, the Carroll profiles, like the better spot where you're you're making more contact but you're not making so much undesirable contact along the way yeah so 267 uh 12 homers uh, is sort of the consensus projection for bregman and uh 255 13 homers is the consensus projection for her. <laughs> it's like oh that's four dollars difference rest of season it is because it all adds up ding 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 and it's like the batting average and you know it's only one homer difference and yes i get it um but then you also have like just uh, performance to date to look at and it's 274 15 homers for josh young and 248 and 11 homers for bregman um who just really hasn't 
played to his projections. I'm, I'm comfortable with this idea because I've definitely had him in a couple keeper leagues where I'm just staring at him being like, yes, the projections say you're always going to be better in the future. And then are you? Uh, he did have a better second half last year, but he ended the season at 259.23. I feel like he's going to end the season very close to that. And so I'm going to take Josh Young. Especially, I think, in a best ball, man. I feel like mm-hmm. Josh Young could just have like a just a destroyer level in a week, some weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm there with you. I, the reason I asked was because there was that big gap in ADP back in the winter and spring where we said Bregman, Bregman was the was last no chance saloon. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think Josh Young is that guy that sort of jumped into that group. There's maybe a few others too, but he's someone. Well, Gunner that Gunner was like, well, you know, some I I must have in at least one league taken Gunner. Um, you know, over not taking Bregman, you know, like, uh, you know, taking Bregman. So I wouldn't take Gunner, but, uh, you know, that's going to be pretty close too. saying it's saying it's something to the effect. And I'm sure I've done this before where it's like, well, Bregman, Bregman's the player I want Gunner to become. Gunner might run more, but why don't I just take the guy that's done it before? And sometimes mm-hmm. that doesn't work because they stop doing it. They're not, they're not robots as much as we would like them to be robots sometime. They're not. Spencer Torkelson, this is going to be the harder part of the show. Yeah. We'll get through these guys. It looks like things are getting a little better for Torkelson overall. In, it's still, from the from the full season view, a lot of similar things that we saw last year. Big difference, though, more hard contact. 47.9% hard hit rate, that's up. More barrels, that's definitely good. Results, 8 homers in 75 games compared to 8 in 110 games last year. So he is getting to the home run power more often. Slash line overall still pretty gross. Uh, are you willing to buy into Torkelson hitting the ball harder, hitting it in the air more often? And the projections point to him being a pretty good player in the second half. There have been some 12-team leagues where he's popped up on the waiver wire. And you'd have to at least consider picking him up if you're looking for some help on the corner. Yeah, I think uh, he's a decent guy to try and acquire in keeper leagues. I like the fact that he's still only 23 and he's made substantial changes to his batted ball mix, uh, his barrel rate, his max EV is up. Like, and he's done this without striking out more. He's, in fact, whiffing less. So basically every sort of leading indicator uh, is, either, is either solid and stayed the same or got better. And uh, so I'm I'm gonna take him uh, in a lot of places. I think I lean a little bit more towards being interested in him in keeper leagues, where I'm like, okay, next year he takes that next leap and he gets to a 12% barrel rate, um, and then he really you know starts to have like a 180, 200 ISO, and then we can start talking about a guy who will you know have a 330 on base percentage plus and maybe. Um, you know, a 475, 500 slugging, you know, that's somebody I'm a little bit more interested in. Even these projections that you say are, are good and they're decent. Uh, they're for like 230, 240 average, 11 homers, 320 OBP, 400 to 420 ish slugging. It's not that great <laughs> for a first baseman. You know what I mean? So I, I'd be a little bit careful, uh, in how excited I was in redraft leagues, but he also just seems attainable. And so sometimes you're like, man, is he like, is he going to be any better than Jared Walsh who just got sent down? And yeah, he is. So let me just see if I can go get him real quick. So if you look at the rest of the season projection, you kind of make that a full season projection for the future and say, that's kind of where I think he's headed. Okay, fine. That's like 245, 
20 to 24 homers and good run production because he'll be in the heart of the order. He'll play every day. Who had that projection at first base coming into the season? Christian Walker was like that 252, 24 homers. You know, that's kind of the same player. CJ Crone. If that's the player Torkelson is, it's a disappointment relative to being a first overall pick. pick and everything. But it's still a good outcome in the sense of that's a solid everyday sort of player that does make a fantasy impact and actually does make the Tigers better over time. Um, the strange thing about Torkelson is that even in the minors, like a lot of guys like him, they hit for average in the minors. They hit for a, a pretty good average. He was a, big a let the ball travel guy who didn't strike out that much. Yeah, it's like to see a 238 and a 229 from him in his two stints at AAA, it's kind of weird. Even in AA, 263, it's not bad, but... This guy went 1-1. He should have hit like 280, 290. I know that's splitting some hairs in some ways, but I think it's the the type of contact he's made hasn't been quite what you'd expect it to be, but maybe, maybe just maybe turning the corner. How about C.J. Abrams? You mentioned Luis Garcia earlier. I think if I'm looking at the middle infield in D.C., I'm still a lot more interested in C.J. Abrams than I am in Luis Garcia. Do you share my optimism? With who? C.J. Abrams? No. You have optimism? Some, yeah. What? Why? I like him more than Luis Garcia. I don't. I think there's still room for more power growth. We've seen the barrel rate improve a little bit this year. K rate yeah. is not horrible. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more, but there's a power-speed combo. You're probably talking about a 15-15 guy right now with room for more growth, and I think because of Abrams having a ton of injuries during his time in the minor leagues, there's some lost development time that isn't necessarily accounted for and I think that's part of the reason I still believe there's one more level he'll reach over time. When we were talking about him at the end of last season, I think I even traded him around this time last year in one of my keeper leagues. I thought we we're going to have to wait a while to get the power. And we're still, we're not getting as much as people initially thought. But this is sort of the progression that we were This is a little expecting. better than last time I looked. 112.5 max EV is, I think, probably 50 raw power. Yeah, max EV is 83rd percentile. Okay, so is that that's that's more like 55, 60? 60 Good sprint speed. 55? He got given a 45, 55 raw power by Fangraphs. So. But they also gave him a 70 future hit tool, and he has a 12% swing strike rate, 23% strikeout rate. Like, I'm just not seeing it. And then he has a minus, minus plate approach. I mean, just awful. Like a 44% chase rate last year, 41 this year, like a, a combined 2.5% walk rate for his career. This is like all the worst parts of Luis Garcia without the without all the good parts. Yeah, but we're talking about a guy who was drafted out of high school and got to play 114 professional games and is 22 before he debuted. Years old. Yeah, the flaws in his game, like the, the plate skills still need to improve, like chasing outside the zone too much. To me, it's so much more excusable. And maybe I'm forcing the narrative to to just like work in my favor in this case. But if all the things people who analyze prospects said and wrote about C.J. Abrams three, four years ago, if we're going to believe that, and I think we should, he still has some significant room for growth. And he's just getting to do it at the big league level instead of doing it stuck at triple a which for me he's just a cautionary tale about how we get all up in arms and excited about the new. Uh, prospect that you know is is doing something in the minor leagues and you know he becomes his buzzy name and you know i think even aj preller trades on that where he's just like yeah i don't think 
I'm not sure this guy's any good. And like, <laughs> I'm going to trade him before anybody realizes I don't even think he's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, so I, I, I think the best thing he has going for him is his age. Um, and I don't think that I would, uh, spend much more to spend, you know, the next three years trying to figure out if he's actually going to capitalize on that stuff. I don't, I don't really see it. I am going to try and get CJ Abrams everywhere. That is my, that is my goal. Everybody's uh, out. I'm in. I mean, even, I guess, you know, he could be one of those players that's just better from in fantasy than he is in real life because he is going to end the season according to projections with 13 homers and 20 stolen bases. That's fine. That plays. That's I think he's going to keep getting better. More than I thought. How about Shea Langoliers? You see him a lot. Better days ahead for him. Chases outside the zone a bit, but by the numbers, probably deserves better results than he's had so far. I love him uh, for like almost the exact opposite reasons, which is I think he's a better real-life player than fantasy. So I'm not sure that I'm advocating everyone go get him, but I think he's a, a heady catcher starting catcher uh, guy who like he could potentially grow into some murphy-esque type shoes but because i see a lot of the same work ethic and uh how hard he works to to have a good rapport with his pitchers and to to call games well and um how he thinks about the game i i i feel very positive about all that uh in terms of what i'm looking at in terms of on-field results and numbers for shay langoliers He's uh, kind of maybe one of these conventional swing and miss catchers who hits the ball hard. Yeah, that offensive profile behind the plate is somewhat common, but I do yeah. think because of the lineup he's in and the possibility of them gradually getting better over the next couple of years, he might be a little underrated in the short term as someone that has that big batting average flaw. I do wonder when you get those guys that have the the added work ethic, when you can spot that. You know, Marcus Simeon or someone you talked about had that years ago too how much you can just keep betting on that profile to change. And I think with Langoliers, it's early enough in his career where I'd be willing, willing to do that. It's hard to see it from the outside. I mean, you'll maybe you'll see it, it, it. Like, it is rare probably for someone who has poor work ethic to have an article written about how good his work ethic is, right? It is harder to spot the ones that don't have articles written about it and being like, mm, does this guy or does he not? I don't know. And you like try to watch him. But... Um, I heard similar good things about Cal Raleigh coming up um, in terms of uh, I went to Modesto and and met um, uh, Logan Gilbert and Penn Murphy and, uh, you know, a lot of those guys. And uh, they talked about uh, Cal Raleigh then. And so, you know, I, I, I think uh, Cal Raleigh has similar um, sort of uh, secondary characteristics but his primary characteristics are better his bail rate's better his max is better his strikeout rate's better you know so if there's a would you rather i guess i'm taking cal rally yeah i think there's still a little ways to go before langoliers gets up to that level but, but i think but could, where he could, could be, be like that he could yeah. be like that yeah he could do something like this yeah look at what raleigh was doing when he entered the league and look at what he's doing now with a little bit of time facing big league pitching last one for today if you got others from this group that you want us to get to we can get to those on wednesday nick prado maybe some good news in kansas city i think there's actually a few things that he does well he's a career double digit barreler uh, doesn't really have a reaching problem either 
And now he's got a much clearer path to playing time, unfortunately, because of Vinny Pasquantino's injury. But he was playing in the outfield even before Pasquantino got hurt. So those two guys could actually coexist in the lineup long term. So uh, what are you seeing with Prado? And 84% zone contact rate. Just to give you an idea of like maybe the Westbrook thing is actually maybe we should be a little bit worried about a striker rate. 84% maybe. zone contact rate for Nick Prado, who has a lifetime 36% strikeout rate. I don't think I understand that totally because he's an 84% zone uh, contact rate and then a 24% uh, O-swing. So, like, is he just, like, really missing anytime he's he swings outside the zone? Let me see here. His zone con- is out of zone contact. Yeah, that's really bad. 40% is pretty bad. So he should be a guy who should try to whittle that chase rate down even more. Because he's done a pretty good job of that so far. In the far. zone, he's better. Yeah. Yeah. And that could happen with more more playing time. But the minor league track record suggests this is a uh, your first base version of the catcher who swings and misses a lot and makes powerful contact. Yeah. Frustrating because there are uh, some pretty intriguing tools here in terms of that power, especially for Prado. So, I think I like someone like Ryan Noda better. Just because mm. the chase rate is better, the bail rate is similar-ish. Um, you know, we're talking about similar guys, but Noda walks more, plays all the time, does not have a guy coming next year that's going to take his job necessarily in terms of a, a big old prospect, unless you think Soderstrom's going to push him. And, you know, there's still like a couple places you can put big, tall guys, you know, uh, that can't play defense. So uh, I think uh, I like Noda a little better than uh, Prado, but I like Prado a little better than I did uh, last year. Yeah, I think he's one of those players that in deeper leagues is slightly overlooked that could actually be surprisingly useful in the second half, even though it comes with some batting average downside. I think that's very clear for anyone that has a 35% K rate. Yeah, yeah. And I think what uh, the best use for him in a lot of leagues is uh, like a bat streamer, which is something we don't talk about enough. But, uh, you know, you get a schedule, a, a point in the schedule where like he goes and visits the White Sox and goes to the Red Sox or, you know, something where he's like, oh, wow, he's it's two, it's two series in a row. Maybe he gets six games this week or seven games this week, you know, away from home. Uh, then I get a little bit more interested. Yep, I think that's a really good way to look at Prado if you're in a weekly format and just looking for someone to give you a little upgrade from time to time based on that schedule. We are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, if you got questions for a future episode, you can email those to us at ratesandbarrels@gmail.com. You can also tweet at us, Eno's at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. The pod is just at ratesandbarrels. If you'd like to send questions there, that's an easy way to get them in as well. Or you can drop us a question under this video on YouTube. If you made it to the end, thank you for listening and watching all the way through 78 minutes of, uh, of goodness. Or How do we what do I hope that? is goodness. I made the rundown too big. Oh. It's your fault. I knew it. I put news on top of a rundown. That was a whole show. Gavin talking, whatever. Yeah. Mutual. Shared (laughs) shared flaw. Shared flaw. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.